Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. While we start, um, I want to talk about what it, the difference between being real and being fake. So to get our discernment power going, I want to talk about real versus fake news headlines. Um, you ever watch like one of those shows and they go like real versus fake news headlines? What I want you to do is decide whether or not this is a real news line or whether Matt just thought it up in his my kind of weird warped mind. Um, so let's try the first headline. Tell me if you think this is real or just ridiculous. A headless chicken was spotted crossing the road. How many of y'all think that's a real headline? How many of y'all think that's ridiculous? Verdict is, Jake, that's kind of ridiculous that it did not happen. But here is a true story that may be kind of similar. There is a two-headed baby snapping turtle crossing the road. So instead of a headless chicken, there was a two-headed baby snapping turtle. Let's try the next headline. See if you do a little better on this one. Woman find, women find python in trunk of rental car. How many of y'all think that's true? How many of y'all think that's fake? Ridiculous. It is true. Um, here's the news article. Women find python in the trunk of rental car. What would you do if you opened the trunk of your car and that was in there? <laughs> It'd be a code brown, wouldn't it? Um, next one. Next headline. Um, calf with number seven on forehead gets football-inspired name. You think that could happen? What do you think, Jake? That's a real headline. That's a real headline. Here's a picture of the cow. Isn't that a cute cow? So let's try the next one. It'll get a little more unbelievable. Truck driver finds $80,000 of caviar in gas station bathroom. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you ate $80,000 worth of caviar, you'd probably need to go to a gas station bathroom. But um, do you, how many of y'all think that's real? How many of y'all say it's fake? Ridiculous. Verdict is, Jake, it is ridiculous. Didn't really happen. Didn't really happen. Um, but here's something that's similar. Driver accused of abandoning rancid trailer holding $80,000 in frozen chicken. So, <laughs> so there you go. Um, next one. Man ends prison escape so his fellow inmates can sleep. Isn't that nice? Isn't that sweet of him? How many of y'all think that's real? How many of y'all think it's true? Anybody think it's true? It's true. It's real. Here's the news article. You want to see the face of an angel? There's the face of an angel. Someone that cares so much about his inmates that he wants to let them sleep. Um, we got another one, Jake. Man receives, revives badger by giving mouth to mouth. There's some crazy animal lovers out there. How many of y'all think that's true? Got a couple, okay. Is it true? No, it's ridiculous. But, but, a woman gives a bear CPR. <laughs> but it died. <laughs> so, uh, got another one, Jake. <laughs> um, New Mexico cat burglar caught wearing only a diaper. That was a college dare if you went to Liberty University with me. Um, but um, what's, the, what's the verdict, Jake? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Um, but here's a news article you may like that's similar. Oklahoma City police on the lookout for Binky Bandit. Guy was robbing banks with a pacifier in his mouth. Um, so, so when you're a mama's boy and you want to rob a bank. Um, next one, Jake. Teacher resigns after allegedly talking about robots killing misbehaving students. What do you think? 
What do you think? It's real. That actually happened. So, so if you're a teacher, you probably shouldn't threaten your child, your children with um, killer robots. Um, let's do one more, Jake, and then we'll, we'll go to the lesson. Um, woman saw Jesus in her raisin bran. <laughs> I saw Jesus in my raisin bran. <laughs> he told me to eat more protein. How many of y'all think that's true? How many of y'all think it's not true? Let's see it. It is not true. But praise trees us. Man sees Jesus in tree trunk. So, you know, people see Jesus as some weird stuff. So here, here's, here's the point. We're starting this new series. The series is called Faking It. April came up with this. Uh, she found a song that would go with our um, series, but then we found it was laden with profanity. So we decided not to use it. Um, um, but we're doing this series called Faking It because one of the things I hear from a lot of people is, man, I go to your church, but every Christian I've met is just a big, fat, nasty hypocrite. Any y'all, any y'all have heard that before? Maybe not those exact words, but you're like, you talk to somebody about Jesus, and they're like, you know what? Christians are all just a bunch of hypocrites. I don't want anything to do with them. And, and the truth is, a lot of Christians do fake it. A lot of us sometimes fake it. And we say one thing and we do another. I asked some of you a couple, you know, how, how is it that Christians fake it? And, and, and some of you kind of contributed to my list here. People, here's how Christians fake it. People serve God just so others can be in awe of them. So it's like, look what I'm doing for this little kid. Selfie. You know, it's, it's like you, you're, you're doing it for your own self-promotion. Um, people that are good at church, but they're bad at school or wherever. You know, like people that act one way at church and then at, in the, and then at school or like in the locker room talk when you're done with practice, it's like 100%, 180. You know, um, people who act like they have it all together. Have you ever been at church and, like, you're walking past someone you see and you're like, hey, hey, how are you? And they're like, oh, I'm good, how are you? And they're like, how are you? And they keep walking. And you're like, I'm good. Thanks for stopping to talk to me, you know. So they really don't care, right? Um, people that push away the unsaved. Someone was telling me a story that I thought was really sad, but there was a, there was a group of friends, who, and they were all Christian, and there was, there was someone in their, like, kind of group who was atheist, and they're like, we don't want to hang out with you anymore because you may corrupt us with your atheist virus. No. But, like, like, you see Christians doing that. You see Christians picking and choosing other Bible, like what Bible verses they want to obey, you know? Like, like, okay, I'll obey the one that says, like, Jesus loves me, but the one about obeying my parents, uh, we may just kind of rip that one out of the Bible. You know, or the one that says, I have to be nice to that person that smells like they haven't taken a shower in like five days. Like, I don't think I'm going to listen to that one. Um, also, people who denigrate other Christians. People who say they have the love of Christ, but they come to church and they're just like, you know, ripping people up one side and down the other. So we, we, you've probably had an experience with a fake Christian, someone who's faking it. I know I have, but if you're a Christian here tonight, there's probably a good chance that somewhere along the line of your Christian life, you've been faking it too. So this series is called Faking It, Games Christians Play. Because sometimes rather than worship Christ and follow Christ at church, we come to church and we play games. The game we're going to talk about tonight is hide and seek. We play hide and seek with God. Um, next week we're going to play, sh um, we're going to play dodgeball. Um, Christians play dodgeball, so we're actually going to play dodgeball. Um, the week after that is charades. Sometimes we play charades at church. And then the last one is my favorite one, Simon Says. Uh, so we'll definitely be playing a little bit of Simon Says. So there are games Christians play. And when you think about hide and seek, 
you never get too old for hide and seek. If you, there's certain things if you get too old for, you might as well just go ahead and croak. Like, and I think, I think hide and seek is one of them. Like, like if you don't like hide and seek, you know, you might as well just croak. Um, because, because if you're too old to have fun with that game, you're just officially too old. Um, and, and my little girl Addison loves to play hide and seek, but she's terrible at it. <laughs> she's terrible at it. She'll hide, and she'll find a little hiding place, and I'll be like, I'm coming to find you. And I'll hear her go, hey, 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 and I'll be able to quickly find out where she's hiding because she's just not very, you know, she's not very good at it. But hide and seek is fun. We play it on drop-in nights. We turn all the lights off on all three floors, floors, and we play hide and seek. But there was a church in the first century in the New Testament, and they were faking it, and they were playing hide and seek with Jesus. And we're going to talk a lot about hypocrisy, and maybe some of you are like, Matt's finally going to start banging on these hypocrites that are like, you know, our church is full of hypocrites. I can't wait to see him like, boom, bring the boom down on these stupid hypocrites. But tonight what I want you to do, we're going to bring the boom down on hypocrites. Don't worry. Tonight what I want you to do is I want you, before you're examining the life of the person next to you or behind you, I want you to examine your life. Because we're going to learn a church, about a church here that Jesus was talking about. They were faking it, and they didn't even realize it. Some of us may be faking it, and we don't even realize it. So if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation. It's like the light, pretty much like this far along in the Bible. You're almost at the end. This is the last book of the Bible that was written. It was written um, by Jesus' apostle, his follower named John. John was one of those guys, he, he wasn't faking it. They were telling John, John, you've got to stop telling, about people, telling people about Jesus. You know what John said? I don't think so. I'm going to keep telling people about Jesus. And they said, John, if you don't stop telling people about Jesus, we're going to kill you. And John says, I'd like to see you try. So you know, it was the first century. They didn't have, like, electric chairs, and, or they don't do that anymore, lethal injection. The way they were decided to kill John was they threw him in a boiling pot of water. And funny about these Christians, like, a couple things with these Christians. First, you kill one Christian and, like, three more appear. It's, it's weird how God works. And then secondly, they were trying to kill Christians. They just couldn't kill him. They tried to stone Paul, and he somehow got up and walked away from it. When I say stone, I don't mean like stone. I mean like stone. You know? And he walked away from it. They, try, they threw John the Baptist in a boiling pot of water. He got hurt big time, but you know what? He survived. So they're like, we don't know what to do with John. We can't kill him. He won't stop talking about Jesus, so we're going to exile, exile him to this island. So they put him on this little bitty island. It's like one of those survivor shows where it's like literally this like, like rock in the middle of the ocean. And it, the island was called Patmos. So John's all by himself, has no one to be with, no other brothers and sisters, no other of his Christian brothers and sisters in Christ to be with. So John is by himself, and Jesus sends him comfort by showing up. Jesus shows up to John. John hadn't seen Jesus for several years because Jesus had gone back to heaven. But Jesus shows up, and he says, John, you're my closest friend. I want you to write down these words, and I want you to write letters to seven different churches. And John, everything Jesus says, John writes down. He says, write these words. And John writes letters on Jesus' behalf to seven churches. And Revelation 2 and 3 are letters to these seven churches. And the final church that Jesus wants John to write a letter to is this church in a town called Laodicea. Laodicea. And we're going to read this letter that Jesus has John write. So start in verse 14. If you don't have your Bible with you, um, the words are going to be on the screen. But it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. 
You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Or naked, however you want to say it. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can come, become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who's victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this church, this city, this, that contained the church that this letter was written to was in a city that was very wealthy and very prominent. Laodicea was prominent for three reasons. First, they had a lot of money because they, all, all the banks in the province of where they were in Asia were located in Laodicea. It's kind of like Barbersville gets real lucky because they have the mall in their city limits. So Barbersville don't have to worry about money because they get all the tax revenue from the mall. Some of you didn't know that. Um, so, um, so, they, so they had plenty of money. Laodicea had plenty of money. They were a rich town. They were also very well known because back then medicine was pretty rough. Like, it was rough. Like, like if you had a sickness, they'd just cover you in leeches and hoping the leeches would suck the sickness out of you. Yeah. <laughs> Not a place I'd want to be in. But this city, they had some really smart scientists who came up. Like, a lot of people had um, eye problems. They didn't have glasses at the time. And a lot of people had astigmatisms. Any of y'all maybe have an astigmatism and you can't, like, they came up with this salve. It's like this cream you could put on your eyes and it would help with the astigmatism. That's big stuff for the first century. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even have, like, running water at the time and they've got salve. So they, they, they were well known for this. They were proud of, like, their scientific community. And they were also known as being fashion icons because they were able to develop this special kind of clothing it was, um, back then, it was very hard to get real rich colors in clothing because, I mean, you had to, like, get this special dye and you had to work it, you know. But they could come up with this, like, jet black. They called it raven black clothing. So, like, Evan was Mr. Laodicea and his, his, his man in black from head to toe. Like, so they were very proud of all these things. So they were this rich town. They were this perfect town. And what happened was the church started blending in with the town because the church was like, well, we got all the money we need. Yeah, we, we, we have all the healing we need. We, you know, we have the best medical community in the world, and, 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 and we look pretty good, too. So they become like the plastics. You know, and you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this movie, but like our, this, this movie, Mean Girls, seems to transcend generations. And there's this group of girls in the school called the plastics. And you know, we, we, you, you know they're fake, but you, know, you still kind of want to be them. Um, and, and they were the plastics. The church of Laodicea became the plastics because they became totally undependent on God and totally dependent on their resources. In the year 60 AD, the city of Laodicea had an earthquake, and a lot of the city crumbled to the ground. And a lot of cities around Laodicea also had you know, the earthquake affected them, and those cities crumbled to the ground. So they were under the Roman Empire. So, um, so, so the leader of Rome, Caesar, he sends out letters to all these cities saying, I will pay to rebuild your cities. So every city's like, sounds good to me. Give me some of that money, except for Laodicea. They wrote back and they said, we got enough money. We'll take care of ourselves. And that attitude worked its way into the church. And the church said, we got enough money. We can take care of ourselves. And what we learn in this passage is they actually, without realizing it, kicked Jesus out of their own church. Crazy, huh? And we think, how in the world could they have done that? It's not as difficult as you think. And some of us 
without knowing it, may have kicked Jesus or tried to kick Jesus out of our lives. So I want to make a couple observations about this. I've only got three points, so we're going to get out on time. How many of y'all believe that? Oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, first point, this is hide and seek. So the first thing we need to realize is you can't hide from God. I told you about how my little girl, as much as I love her, she's terrible at hide and seek. She will give away her position by laughing. And she's also, she's starting to get this, but she doesn't quite understand that she thinks if she just hides her eyes and hides her face, that the rest of her body somehow becomes invisible. <laughs> and, you know, I see it, and I smile, and I still pretend. I'm like, where'd she go? You know, I, I play the stupid dad. I'm like, where'd she go? You know, but that's the way we try to hide from God sometimes. Look who Jesus is. You think you can hide from this guy? Read these, look at these verses. Um, it says in verse 14, it says, these are the words of the amen, which is a 4,000-year-old word that's been transliterated from Hebrew to Greek to Latin and into English. So when you say amen, you're saying a word that's been said that exact way for 4,000 years. Pretty awesome. That word means the beginning and the end, the only faithful person. So it says this, these are the true words of the only faithful person, talking about Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That is Jesus. Okay, we present Jesus sometimes as this like effeminate, like, like will y'all come join my religion? That's not Jesus. Jesus is a hero. Jesus conquered sin and death. Jesus has pre-existed everything. And the one who has pre-existed everything, you think you can play hide-and-seek with him? You can play hide-and-seek with your parents. Man, you can, you can get your parents tricked, and your parents think you are like the golden child, and you can do no wrong. I mean, some of you are like, that's definitely not me. <laughs> but you know, some of you, your parents are excited the fact that you've come to church and that you're going to church. They're excited that maybe you want to go on a mission trip or that you're, you're doing this or you're doing that for Christ. They're excited that they see an open Bible in your bedroom. And you've got your parents convinced that you're something that you're not. And you, can, you can hide from your parents. Um, you can hide from me. You can hide from your friends. But you know what? You can't hide from God. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. This word that Jesus told John to write, because John originally wrote this in Greek, it's the word ergon. You ever heard like on one of those like TV commercials for something, like a pen or something, they say, this ergonomic design, you know, and it, it means it, it fits well in your hand. Like you, there's nothing like a pen that just fits perfectly in your hands because it's been ergonomically designed. This word ergon means your hands, things you've done with your hands. So what Jesus is saying is, I know the things you've done with your hands. Yeah, you're trying to talk about, you're trying to, you're running your mouth, but I'm looking at your hands. Yeah, you're talking about how good you are. You're talking about how much you love me, but your hands are saying something totally different. If your hands don't equal your mouth, you're probably living in hypocrisy. You see what I mean? Jesus is saying, that's great that you say you love me. That's great that you have worship services at your church. But look at what your hands have done. Look at what buttons you've pushed on your phone. Look at the sites that you visited. You, know, you can clear your browsing history, but you can't clear your conscience. And God still knows where you've been. God knows what you've seen on Instagram, and God knows what you've texted to that person. You can trick others, but you, you can't trick God. He says, um, um, this is the next part that's really interesting. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is some pretty strong language. Remember I said that it was a plastic city? You know, everything was perfect except one thing. They had a really disgusting water supply in that city. This was before, you know, running water was like a big thing. 
so you're kind of stuck with the water you have. And um, the best way I could describe this water is, it's a word that's kind of overused now, but it's like dank. You know what I mean when I say it's like this disgusting water? Because the city that was a couple, you know, a couple miles down the road was Colossae, down this road, and they had cold water. And cold water is refreshing. When you've been hitting the gym and you've been getting your gains, you want lukewarm water. You want ice cold water. You want to drink a little bit, and you want to pour a little bit like on your hair and just like, you know, do one of those things, right? When you've been practicing hard. Cool water is refreshing. So what they tried to do was they tried to pipe in this cool water. They built this, in, like, exquisite aqueduct to try to divert the water from Colossae down to them. But you know what happened? By the time that cold water got to them in the Middle Eastern heat, you know what it was? It was lukewarm. So they're like, well, there's a city over here called Hierapolis. And they've got really hot water. And hot water is used for healing. It's used for, like, medicinal reasons. You ever, you ever get in a hot tub when you've got, like, sore muscles and it just feels incredible? So they're like, let's pipe in the hot water from Hierapolis because they've got these natural hot springs. So they build an aqueduct from Hierapolis because they got all the money they need, right, to get to Laodicea. And what happens by the time the water gets to Laodicea? It's cooled down a little bit, and it's lukewarm. They're stuck with lukewarm water. And you know what Jesus says? He's kind of reminding them that they're not perfect when he's saying this. He says, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. You're faking it. So you know what I'm going to do? I want to spew you out of my mouth. The word for spew that John wrote in the Greek is the word emeo. Kind of sounds like emit. This, this word was meant just to describe the act of uncontrolled vomiting. You ever had the flu and you're like worshiping the porcelain goddess and you're like laying in the fetal position by the toilet, you know, <laughs> and like every like five minutes you're like, you know, Jesus, Jesus is a holy God. God is a holy God. It's like water and oil. You can't mix them up. They're going to separate. And when you try to act like you are a holy child of God, and you say that, and your words are different, you know the reaction you get from God? You know, it's like if I was taking a drink, and it was like lukewarm, what would I do? That's, <laughs> spit it out. You all thought I was going to spit all the water out. So that's the reaction. It's just, you become, you become disgusting. That, that's not a really positive and encouraging lesson, but there's more to it. So let's get to the more to it. Versus, you can't hide from God. Remember that. God knows what you do. That should scare you. That should also comfort you a little bit, and we'll get to that. But God knows what you do. You can't hide from God. And here's the other thing. You can hide from others for a certain period of time, but you know what? Eventually, people catch on to the fact that you're faking it. Yeah. You hang around someone long enough, you'll eventually start to see the real person. And people will eventually start to see the real you. So you can't hide from God. Second thing, fakers lose their grip on reality. Here's what happened to this church at Laodicea. Some of you guys are like this in the mirror. You, know, you, you think you're a real big bad buff because you've know, you got this like, good perception of you. But everybody else is like, man, you, know, you want to put a little butter on that muffin top? So, um, so that, you know, we, we lose our grip on reality sometimes. Um, Look at what it says here in, in this verse. In, in verse um, 17, it says, You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. It's easy to point to our church attendance, and it's, and it's easy to point to the Winter Jam concert you went to, and it's easy to present this and present this, and you, you kind of put together your Christian resume and say, Look at what all I've done. But do you realize that without Christ... All of those things amount to nothing. The prophet Isaiah said, our righteousness is filthy rags 
compared to Christ, compared to God. They don't realize they kicked God out the door of their church. So anything they do in their church is nothing. It's no good. And they think they've got all this money and they've got a lot of like physical money that they can buy stuff with. But he says, you're poor. You're wretched. Sometimes we feel better just because like we're a little bit, I was always like this, like because I spent a lot of time in the principal's office. Um, I went to a Christian school. So I get like in trouble in, in the principal's office for just kind of silly things. Like I was, I like to talk. Um, I was kind of like one of those spitwad championies, you know. And um, I, I'd spend some time in there. And I, my defense was always, "Hey, man, at least I'm not snorting crack." Yeah, that that was that was my defense, and he didn't really appreciate that. But you know, that sometimes that's our defense. It's like, well, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, I messed up, but I'm not as bad as this guy. So we compare ourselves to others, and if we're a little bit better than others, we think we're okay. You know, we look at others whose life is like totally like 100% a hot mess, basket case, whatever. We're like, I'm not them, so I'm okay. But we don't realize is if Jesus isn't in our life, if Christ isn't in your life, and you say you're a Christian, think about it. If you, Christ is not in your life and you say you're a Christian, your life is pitiful. Your life is sad. Um, I wrote this now. Something is wrong when I can act Christian but not act like Christ. There are a lot of people that act Christian because our society and our culture has this certain expectation of what you should do to act Christian. You show up at church every once in a while, you help a couple people, and that's cool. But what is it like when it's just you and God? Is Jesus in your life? When's the last time you've heard from God? When's the last time you spent time talking to God in prayer? When's the last time you did something out of service to God, and you didn't take a picture of it, and you didn't tell anyone about it, but you just did it because it was the right thing to do. Sometimes we lose our grip on reality. And here's the problem with this church at Laodicea. They were, they were sinful. They, they didn't care about God anymore, but they had no idea that they were messed up. And here's the thing about hypocrisy. We usually engage in hypocrisy, and we usually fake it so others will not realize who we are. But what usually happens is you're the last to realize that you're faking it. God's always known. The people around you are starting to figure it out. Or you're paranoid that the people around you are going to figure it out. But sometimes we don't realize it because we haven't stopped to look. Um, it says in here um, that you are, it says you're blind. That was kind of a jab at the whole, you know, our city has made all these beautiful salves for eyes and stuff. But you're blind. You can't see. You can't see that you're miserable. We're usually the last to realize we're faking it. Here's the, here's the final one, and here's the good news. I started with the bad news. Here's the good news. Jesus is the seeker. Look at this, verse 19. This is where it starts getting good. Jesus says, those who I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. I put the picture of the doors to the park up here because one of the saddest things, this is maybe the saddest part of this of this passage, is that Jesus is talking to this church, and he's describing himself outside the church door, knocking to be let in. If that's not faking it, I don't know what is. This church was totally cool. These people were totally cool with pretending to be Christians, and Jesus standing at the door knocking. But what does Jesus promise to do? First, he restores. He says in verse 18, I'll get you gold refined in the fire, white clothes to wear so you can co cover your nakedness, um, salve you can put on your eyes, and you'll be able to see. 
he corrects in verse 19. It says, those who, those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. Jesus loves you way too much to let you destroy your life. If Addison is running to the street and I see a TTA bus, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab her. I'm not going to particularly care if she wants me to grab her. I'm even not going to particularly care if it scares her or if it jars her because the only thing I'm concerned about is protecting her from running out in front of that TTA bus. So I will grab her with all the might I have. Some of us are like, man, Jesus is mean. God is mean. He punishes people. He corrects people because he does not want you on that self-destructive course. So Jesus says he corrects you. Here's what's really incredible. This is what I love. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. This church, by the way, this is the only one of the seven churches that Jesus had nothing good to say about them. They were like the worst church ever. They were like the worst Christians ever. They were faking it more than any Christian had ever faked it. And you know what Jesus does after the rest of the church world has probably written them off? You know where Jesus is with all these fake Christians? He's still knocking on the door. He hasn't give up, given up on them. So if you're here and you're faking it and you're like, I've tried, I just can't get back with Jesus, guess what Jesus is doing at the door of your heart? Knock, 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 knock. He doesn't give up on people. We write people off. Jesus doesn't write people off. And he gives promises too. He says, if anyone hears my voice, I'll open the door. I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. I really wish I could describe what it means for Jesus to eat with someone and what it meant to eat with someone in the first century. Let's just say they didn't have individual plates. They shared food. Like shared food. You didn't sit prim and proper at a table. You reclined. The table's like this tall. You reclined on like bean bags and ate together. You're sharing the same dishes. You're breaking pieces off the same bread. That's intimate. You didn't just eat with anyone. You ate with people that you knew used their hand sanitizer, right? <laughs> so Jesus says, if you open a door, I'm knocking at the door of your life. You're faking it, but guess what? I haven't given up on you. I'm knocking at the door of your life. If you will open the door, I won't just make things cool. I will get down on your level, and I will change your life, and I will be personally involved in your life. Jesus is still seeking you, even though you've kicked him out of the door of your life. So what can you do? How do you respond to this? Jesus is knocking on the door. How do you answer? Three things, and they're super easy. The first is stop hiding because you're really not hiding from God. Ask God to search your heart, your life, and your actions. In Psalm 139, David writes, Search my heart, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me. When you ask God, watch out because he will show you what you need to correct in your life. So that's the next step is you've got to get real with God. You've got to get real with him. You've got to repent. You've got to be sincere. For the first time in your life, be real with God. And here's the final thing. Invite God into your life. Invite Jesus into your life. He is seeking you right now. I don't care where you come from, whether it's your first time here, whether you grew up here. Jesus is seeking you. He's knocking at the door of your heart. He wants to change your life. Will you open the door? I'm going to leave it at that. That's the question for you tonight. Will you open the door? I'm going to pray for us. As I'm praying, if tonight is the night, you just you need to open the door of your heart and say, Jesus, come in. It's a mess, but I trust that you can clean it up. If that's you tonight, while I'm praying, I want you to pray in your heart quietly and ask God to come into your life. So let's pray. Um, Father, I'll be the first to admit that I'm very good at faking it. So, Father, I pray that um, you will humble me so that I will be real. And, Father, I pray for our youth group that you will humble us. Father, the worst thing ever 
would be for us to be having youth group and for you to be outside knocking on the door. Father, I pray if there's someone here tonight that's never opened up their heart to you, that has never let you into their life, that you'll give them the courage and you'll give them the confidence and the belief in you to invite you in and to say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.